Section 18 of the Medici, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Bourgeois Doyle. The Medici, Volume 1, by G. F. Young. The celebrated conspiracy which had these results originated at Rome with Pope Sixtus IV and his nephews of the Riario family. They gained, as their accomplices, the Pazzi, at this time the leading family amongst the nobles in Florence, and the conspiracy has taken its name from them, though they were not the chief authors of the plot. Sixtus IV, the first of three popes who in this age attained an evil preeminence, was a fisherman by birth, and took the name of the Della Roveri family. His sister married a Riario, and of him it has been said that he was the first pope who, for the sake of a founding family, sacrificed every interest of the church, and waited deep in crime and bloodshed for this purpose. The chief political feature of his pontificate is a constant struggle to rob all, right and left, of their possessions to enrich his rapacious nephews. He made himself hated in Rome, above all for his cruel treatment of the Colonna family, whom he pursued with relentless ferocity, and of all his crimes, this atrocious murder of the head of that family, the proto-notary, Lorenzo Colonna, in order to wring from them the surrender of their estates, has made his name forever odious. Sixtus IV, urged on by Girolamo Riario, the most evil of his nephews, desired to seize upon Florence in order to give that state to Girolamo. That this involved the murder of the two Medici brothers was a mere detail. The Pazzi, on the other hand, though they desired to exterminate the Medici, had no intention of allowing the Riario to obtain Florence afterwards. Thus did these two bands of criminals combine for their common object of a treacherous double murder, each of them determined to outwit the other when that should have been effected. The arrangements took some time, but eventually the two parties hatched at Rome, early in 1478, the plot known as the Pazzi Conspiracy, certainly with the full cognizance of the Pope, even though it may be true that he did not know all the details. For these he left to his nephew, Girolamo Riario, the chief originator of the plot, and did not desire to know them so long as the result, the removal of the two Medici, was achieved. In fact, without the Pope's full concurrence, Girolamo Riario would never have undertaken an affair involving so many risks, which might, without that support, bring him no profit. Troops under Niccolo de Talentino and Lorenzo Giustini were sent to occupy points on Florence's frontiers at Todi, Cito de Castello, Imola, and near Perugia, and arrangements made for their marching upon Florence, while that city should be in the state of confusion and helplessness which would result from the murder of the two Medici. As has been remarked, for such extensive movements, the Pope's assent and cooperation were essential. The principal movers in the business were Girolamo Riario, who was to obtain the state of Florence, Francesco Salviati, Archbishop-designate of Pisa, who was promised that he would be made Archbishop of Florence if the attempt succeeded, the young cardinal, Raffaello Riario, the Pope's grandnephew, who was sent to Florence to represent Girolamo and the Pazzi family. The latter were very numerous. Jacopo de Pazzi, 
who was head of the family, had two brothers, and between them they had ten grown-up sons, besides many daughters. Gazimo, foreseeing the enmity of the Patsy, had arranged a marriage between one of these nephews of Jacopo the Patsy and his granddaughter, Bianca, Lorenzo's sister. But when the time came, this did not protect Lorenzo from the Patsy. When all the plans and the conspirators were ready, the Archbishop Salviati came to Florence, bringing with him Montesecco, a mercenary soldier in the Pope's employ, who was to play the chief part in the murder, and other conspirators. At the same time, the young cardinal, Raffaello Riario, also came to Florence, ostensibly on a visit to Jacopo de Pazzi. The cowardly Girolamo Riario, though he was the chief author of the plot, and was to be the person to benefit by it, took care to remain out of harm's way in Rome. Lorenzo and Giuliano were at the time staying at the charming Medici Villa a few miles out of Florence on the slope of the hill of Fiesole. Raffaello Riario and his retinue stayed with Jacopo de Pazzi at his neighboring villa of La Veggi. They were invited by the two Medici brothers to a grand banquet to take place at the Medici Villa on Saturday, the 25th of April, and the first plan formed by the conspirators was to poison the two brothers at this banquet. The entertainment took place, but Giuliano, being indisposed, was unable to be present, so the plan fell through. The Patsy then told Lorenzo that the young Cardinal Riario was anxious to see the treasures of the Medici Palace upon which Lorenzo invited him and his retinue to stay with him there for the Sunday night, when the cardinal intended being present at high mass in the cathedral, whereupon the conspirators laid the plan that after attending mass and returning to the Medici palace for dinner, their two young hosts should be murdered as they rose from the table. In accordance with the above invitation, the party removed to the Medici Palace, but on the Sunday morning it was found that though Giuliano would be at Mass, he was still too unwell to be at the midday dinner. So again, another plan had to be formed. Nor could any delay be allowed, since on the evening the troops of Niccolo de Tolentino and Giustini would be at the gates of the city. It was therefore hastily decided that the murder should take place at the service in the cathedral, where it was known that there would be a great crowd, which would facilitate the escape of the murderers. Montesecco, however, declined to take part in this plan, as he refused to add sacrilege to murder. So in his place were substituted two priests, who were among the conspirators, Antonio Maffei and Stefano de Bagnone, who had no such scruples. Meanwhile, in the Medici Palace, every preparation was made for the banquet. The rare silver, maiolica, and precious vases were brought out, and the cortile, which Donatello's medallions and statuary adorned, were arranged for the entertainment of so distinguished a company. It shows somewhat of the general estimation in which the Medici were held in Florence that though for several days danger of this kind, either by poison or dagger, had been all around Lorenzo and Giuliano, both they, their family, and their numerous retainers should have been so entirely without the smallest suspicion of any danger. It was this entire absence of suspicion on the part of the two brothers which caused the plot to come so very near to succeeding. Towards midday, on the Sunday morning, 26th of April, 
Lorenzo left the Medici Palace, walking with his guest, the young cardinal, Raffaello Riario, to the cathedral. After a short interval, Giuliano followed, accompanied by Francesco de Pazzi and Bernardo Bandini. As they walked, Francesco de Pazzi pretended affection, put his arm around Giuliano's waist to ascertain whether he wore a coat of mail under his clothes, which he found he did not. Giuliano on that day was entirely unarmed, not even wearing a sword, having hurt his leg in an accident. The moment which the conspirators had fixed upon to carry out this diabolical murder during high mass of the two young men whose hospitality they were enjoying was that of the elevation of the host. This moment, says a historian of the time, being chosen both by reason of the impossibility of mistaking it and also on account of the bending attitude of worship, which it is the habit of everyone in the church to assume at that solemn moment in the service. It was this which caused the mercenary soldier, Montesecco, to draw back from the plot, he being appalled, ruffian as he was, at the blasphemy of choosing such a moment for so great a crime. And this was the actual cause of the failure of the plot, for his part had been that of murdering Lorenzo and the two priests, substituted in his place being unused to arms, bungled their work, where those told off to do the same to Giuliano, Bernardo Bandini, and Francesco de Pazzi, succeeded only too well. In the crowded cathedral, the brothers were, according to the plan, separated. At the fatal moment, Giuliano, unarmed, was standing at the northern side of the choir, not far from the door leading to the Via de Servi, while Lorenzo was standing at the south side of the choir. Giuliano, furiously attacked by Bernardo Bandini and Francesco de Pazzi, fell dead at once where he stood, his body being stabbed again and again as it lay on the ground until it had 19 wounds. At the same time, Maffei and Stefano attacked Lorenzo, but being less prompt than Bandini, only succeeded in giving him a wound on the neck, Lorenzo, with much presence of mind, immediately threw off his cloak, wrapped it around his left arm as a shield, and drawing his sword, beat off his assailants. He then leaped over the low rail which encircled the choir, and running along across in front of the high altar, took refuge in the sacristy. Bandini, having slain Giuliano, rushed towards the sacristy to attack Lorenzo, killing on the way with one blow Francesco Nori, a devoted adherent of the Medici, who interposed to prevent him from reaching Lorenzo. Polizien, with one or two others of his friends, had followed Lorenzo, closed the heavy bronze doors of the sacristy to Bandini's face, while Antonio Ridolfi sucked Lorenzo's wound lest the weapon should have been poisoned. The whole church was at once in an uproar. The people, when they knew what had happened, being ready to tear in pieces those guilty of the crime. For the moment, however, the latter, in the general confusion, escaped out of the church, while the young cardinal, Raffaello Riario, took refuge at the high altar. One of Lorenzo's party in the sacristy climbed up into the organ loft and saw Giuliano's body lying dead at the north side of the choir, and that the conspirators had fled this being the first intimation that Lorenzo had of what had happened to his brother. And after a little time, Lorenzo, wounded and in deep distress at his brother's cruel fate, was escorted home by his friends. Meanwhile, the other and larger portion of the conspirators were occupied at the Palazzo della Signoria. 
The plot, as arranged, was a most formidable one, eminently calculated to paralyze Florence and render her powerless to resist the troops of Niccolo da Tolentino and Giostini, who should in a few hours be entering the city. For the plan had been that while those told off to that work carried out the murder of the two brothers in the cathedral, the principal band of the conspirators, headed by the Archbishop Salviati, should proceed to the Palazzo della Signoria, and having gained admittance to the council chambers, should seize the government, killing all members of the Signoria who resisted. But on the entrance of the Archbishop and his following, the Gonfaloniere Petrucci, who in this crisis showed himself a decidedly strong man, suspected something wrong. He therefore kept the archbishop and his party in play for a short time, detaining the archbishop in his own private room while he quietly set out to ascertain if there was anything unusual going on in the city. In a few minutes came the news of the tragedy, which had occurred in the cathedral. And with it, the gathering noise of the furious people, who, while Jacopo de Pazzi and others of that family strove to rouse them to rise against the Medici, and rode through the streets crying out, Liberta, were refusing to shout as instigated, Abbasso le pale, but instead were shouting furiously, Vivano le pale. The gonfaloniere, with great resolution, seized the archbishop and promptly hanged him from the corner window on the north side of the Palazzo della Signoria, the corner window of the great council hall, and with him, from the adjacent windows, five of his fellow conspirators, while the rest were slain on the staircase. Within a half hour, 26 bodies were encumbering the staircase of the Palazzo della Signoria, and half a dozen more were dangling from the windows. The remainder of the conspirators were hunted through the city by the enraged people, whose hatred against them was beyond all bounds, and none who fell into their hands were spared even to be handed over to the Signoria for execution. They had not only killed Giuliano and attempted to kill Lorenzo, but they had also made a formidable endeavor by force of arms and with the aid of foreign troops to seize Florence by a coup de main, and all these acts together roused the people to frenzy. They surrounded the Medici palace and clamored to see Lorenzo. Wounded as he was, he came out and addressed them, assuring them that he was only slightly hurt and exhorting them not to execute private vengeance on the perpetrators of this deed, but to reserve their animosity for those foreign enemies of their country who had instigated it. But they paid no heed to his admonition, and all suspected of complicity in the plot were pursued through the streets and slaughtered wherever captured. Their mangled remains were dragged about by the infuriated mob, whose rage was not satisfied until about 80 persons had been massacred. Nor was the feeling confined to the city. For days afterwards, the country people flocked into Florence, coming, they said, to protect Lorenzo. But in the Medici Palace was deep and bitter mourning for the bright and justly loved Giuliano, the idol of his family and mournful preparations for the solemn public funeral to be held in the family church of San Lorenzo. Nor when the Florentine people had had time to recover from this first excitement did the popular wrath abate. It became less wild, but more determined. Jacopo de Pazzi had escaped to the village of Castagno, but was seized and brought back by the villagers and executed by the Signoria. The same fete met Francesco de Pazzi, one of the two murderers of Giuliano, his cousin Renato de Pazzi, Montesecco, 
and the two priests, Maffei and Stefano. Guglielmo de Pazzi, brother of Francesco and husband of Lorenzo's favorite sister Bianca, would probably also have lost his life had not Lorenzo, on his sister's account, intervened on his behalf. In consequence, Guglielmo was merely banished to a short distance from Florence. The remaining seven of the ten sons or nephews of Jacopo de Pazzi were sentenced either to imprisonment for longer or shorter periods or to banishment. Vespucci also richly deserved hanging, but was let off with two years' imprisonment. Bernardo Bandini, the other murderer of Giuliano, escaped to Constantinople. There, however, he was seized by the Sultan and sent back in chains to Florence. On his arrival, the Signoria at once ordered him to be executed in the Bargello. The indignation of the people, not all of it on account of the attempt against the Medici, but also on account of the effrontery of such an endeavor to seize upon their state as if a mere spoil of war, caused them to seek for every possible method which they could use to devise to brand with deserved infamy those who had perpetrated this deed. By a public decree of the Signoria, the name and arms of the Pazzi family were ordered to be forever suppressed. Their palace and all places in the city named after them were given other names. All persons contracting marriage with any of that family were declared prohibited from all offices in the Republic. The ancient ceremony on Easter Eve of conducting the sacred fire to the house of the Pazzi was abolished. An artist was employed at the public expense to represent on the walls of the Bargello the bodies of the traitors to the Republic suspended as a mark of infamy by the feet. And a medal was struck by the order of the Signoria, representing the choir of the cathedral, the heads of Lorenzo and Giuliano, and the attacks made upon them. While the fury of the Florentines was thus at a white heat, against those who had perpetrated this crime and come so near bringing their country under such a yoke as Sixtus IV had intended, Lorenzo showed in the midst of the frenzy of his city one trait which is deserving of notice, and it was an inherited one. Whether he had felt that, notwithstanding the part in the matter which the one member of the Riario family who had come to Florence had played, the latter had been only a tool in the hands of older men, or whatever the cause, it was to Lorenzo that the young cardinal, Raffaello Riario, entirely owed the saving of his life. When the uproar in the cathedral took place, the young cardinal took refuge, as already noted, at the high altar, whence he dared not stir. Lorenzo, on reaching home, sent a party of his retainers to protect him and to conduct him to the Medici Palace, the sole place in the city where he could be in safety. There, he kept him hidden for some days until the violence of the people had cooled down and then sent him away in secrecy to Rome. Lorenzo showed similar magnanimity in saving the lives of Raffaello Maffei, the brother of the priest who had attempted to murder him, and of Averardo Salviati, a near relation of the archbishop who had taken so prominent a part in the plot. Such, then, was the Patsy conspiracy. It differs in no way from the most brutal highway murder and robbery except in its consummate treachery and the high position of its authors. Yet it will scarcely be credited that some writers have styled it a praiseworthy act. Thus, for instance, we find Sismondi crediting the chief actors in the Patsy conspiracy with noble motives. He sees in the conduct of Sixtus IV, 
whose motive is well known to have been solely the desire to seize Tuscany for his greedy nephew, elevation of sentiment, and a desire for the independence of Italy. And he regards the Pazzi as noble patriots striving for the liberty of Florence. The Medici have quite enough faults to answer for without their history being distorted in this preposterous fashion. The judgment of a more balanced writer is as follows. The Pope and his nephew attempted to overthrow the Medici rule because it was a bar to enlarging the temporal authority of the one and to the personal ambition of the other. The Patsy were perhaps unconscious that they were being used as tools for the attainment of these ends and had no doubt their own ideas as to the future government of Florence, but there is not a tittle of evidence that they were actuated by a love of liberty. Their conduct throughout seems to have been purely vindictive. It was the Medici, and not the Patsy, who in the past had been on the side of free institutions. The supposition that the Florentines would have preferred the rule of the Patsy to that of the Medici is ridiculous, or Jacopo de Patsy's shouts of Liberta, Liberta would not have been answered with the Pale, Pale of the multitude. In truth, there has seldom been a conspiracy which was instigated throughout by meaner motives. Thus did this celebrated conspiracy fail, and the Medici were more popular than ever, and have weathered the fourth and most formidable attempt to destroy them. While Lorenzo, as a result of this attempt, gained much additional strength for the war which was now before him, in the knowledge that he had a united people at his back, but Lorenzo's youth ended with the death of his much-loved brother. There are no more pageants and festivities, but henceforward war, politics, and literary labors, with field sports as the only relaxation. End of section 18.